So I'm just going to read it. It says, if you're a teacher. No, if you can read this, see, there we go. All right. Let's, let's start again. I, it's upside down. Yeah, I feel it. Yeah, if you can read this, thank your teacher. And if you can read this, you probably are a teacher. <laughs> it's good. The way it's printed out in child writing there. All right, now that that's over. So I'm, probably you guessed I'm a teacher. But I'm an old teacher, so I can't always figure out these newfangled things here. So, so a number of years ago, when I was teaching high school Bible, one of my students came up to me, Barbara, and she said, you know, Mr. Stone, you're always talking about Jesus. Can I have some tech support? <laughs> my ear just fell off. Can I have other tech support? <laughs> I had that hooked on you here. God, are you trying to embarrass me? I'm really trying to, really trying to help you. Okay, go ahead and fix me up here. Go ahead and talk to each other, fellowship a little bit. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, so Barbara comes to me after, after school, and she said, Mr. Stone, you're always talking about Jesus and being born again and all the stuff about getting saved. And, you know, I don't live in a Christian home. And this is my first year at school, so I, I really don't know what you're talking about. Can you explain to me what it means to become a Christian? And just, yeah. I mean, what an awesome question. And I said, absolutely, I'd love to. So I sat her down. It was after school. And um, I sat down in the classroom. And for the next two hours... I began to explain, starting with the book of Genesis, went all the way through to Revelation. I really did, all the way through. Um, so I said, so Barbara, what do you think? Do you want to become a Christian now? And she said, well, um, whew, that's a lot of stuff. And I said, uh, yeah. And she said, well, you know, Mr. Stone, can I, can I just think about this for a while? I, you know, I, yeah, I just need to think about this. And I said, absolutely. Why don't you go home tonight, think about it, pray about it, and we'll come back tomorrow and talk some more about it. <laughs> just, right? Just what she needed for me to talk more about it. So next morning, she comes back. She rushes in the classroom. Mr. Stone, Mr. Stone, I became a Christian last night. I accepted Jesus. And I was just so excited. And I said to her, I literally said this. That is awesome, Barbara. So what was it that I said that made you become a Christian? <laughs> Mr. Stone, can I be honest with you? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, absolutely sure, you can be honest. Well, Mr. Stone, honestly, you confused me. You know, I, I went home and there's just, there's just so much stuff that you said, and and, I, and my head was just kind of, I had a headache. I went home and I laid on my bed and I just started crying. 
And uh, I mean, just what you want in evangelism, right? So she's crying, and her friend walks. She said, Barbara, what's wrong with you? And she said, I don't know. You know, I asked Mr. Stone what it means to be a Christian, and, he, and I know he tried to explain it, but I'm trying to... And, she's, and her friend interrupts and said, Oh, you want to be a Christian? That's easy. You see, Christians die and they go to heaven. Non-Christians die and they go to hell. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to go to hell? And she said, well, I don't want to go to hell. Well, that's easy then. You better accept Jesus so you get to go to heaven. <laughs> Sometimes we teachers complicate things a little bit too much. So this morning, I promise not to keep you here for two hours. But... I do want to show you how to present the gospel in a simple yet complete way. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 10, I'll have some of this on the screen as well. But if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn with me there. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Now, centurion is a commander of a hundred Roman soldiers. So in verse 2, he and his family were devout and God-fearing. Now, literally, that word God-fearing is a God-fearer. You see, in the time of Jesus, um, there are three categories of people relating to Judaism. Judaism being the primary Jewish religion of the day. The first category were the Jews themselves who were born into Judaism. And so they, just by nature of their culture and their religion, they obeyed all the Jewish laws and traditions and customs. But then you've got a group called the proselytes. Now, the proselytes were Gentiles who looked around and saw the Roman gods, the Greek gods, the pagan idols. They're nothing. They just have no life. They're really not doing anything. And so these Gentiles converted fully to the Jewish religion. They got circumcised. They followed the Sabbath. They adhered to the Jewish laws, to the Jewish customs, just as if they had been born that way. But then you have a third category, and these are the God-fearers. Now, the God-fearers also saw that the Roman gods and the, Jewish, uh, the, the Greek gods and the pagan idols, they, they had nothing to offer. So they identified with the faith and the ideals of Judaism. But they stopped short of full conversion. They didn't get circumcised. They didn't obey the Sabbath. They didn't follow all the laws and traditions. But they believed in idealism of Judaism. And this is who Cornelius was. He was not a full convert to Judaism. But he believed in the principles and the teachings of Judaism. So in verse 2... Cornelius and his, uh, his whole family are devout and God-fearers. Now, he gives generously to those in need. He prays to God regularly. In verse 3, one day about 3 in the afternoon, okay, okay, about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and I just turned it off. Can I have a techie? <laughs> what did I do? I, 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 all I did was push. Did I push? Oh, yeah. I thought I pushed. I'm sorry. Just behave. So, verse 4. So, Cornelius 
stares at the angel in fear and he says, what is it, Lord? And the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a remembrance before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now I want you to note some things that we just read about Cornelius here. First, he's devout. He's a God-fearer. He gives generously. He prays regularly. He had a vision. He saw an angel. The angel actually spoke to him. The angel actually named him. And the angel says, essentially, your prayers and your gifts have been received by God. Now, how many of you have had that happen to you? Had angels come and visit you and say, your prayers, your gifts were heard by God? Not many, huh? So, wouldn't it seem to you that Cornelius is obviously a dedicated Christian? Right? Wrong. Here's a guy who's devout. He fears God. He gives generously. He prays regularly. He has a vision. He sees an angel. The angel calls out his name. The angel says, God has heard your prayers. He's received your gifts. but he's not a Christian. You see, he's seeking after God, but he is not yet a true believer. And that's why the angel tells him to send for Peter, because Peter is going to explain to him how he can become a Christian. Now, this is an area where I think we really need to be cautious, folks. Just because a person is zealous just because he's religious, just because he has a passion for God does not mean that he's necessarily a born-again Christian. Billy Sunday, who was an evangelist in the early 1900s, used to say, going to church does not make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. You see, I was Cornelius. For two years in junior college and my first year in Navy, I was Cornelius. I mean, I was searching hard after God. I read books. I went to church. I listened to religious radio programs. I watched them on television. I talked to church leaders. I was hungry for God. And from all outside appearances, everyone thought I was a Christian. But I had not yet been born again. Not until one of my fellow sailors saw me, talked to me, realized that I had not made that step on the threshold, and he led me to the Lord by explaining the gospel to me and showing me how to put my faith in Jesus. That's when I became a Christian. I was on a long journey like Cornelius until someone showed me the way. And I know many of you were Cornelius as well. In fact, some of you this morning may still be Cornelius. So in verse 7 through 33, God sees that Cornelius is seeking. He's searching after him. And he has to do a little bit of arm twisting for Peter to get him to finally go to Cornelius' house. You remember that story where Peter has the vision and he lays down this, this whole sheet and Peter says, oh, not me, God, I won't eat. No, no. So God has to twist Peter's arm to get him to go see Cornelius and tell him how to become a Christian. God twisted any arms here? 
So verse 34, jump down there, please. Yes. So Peter began to speak. Peter says, now when Peter gets there, he, really, he sees that Cornelius has brought all his friends and his family. So this whole crowd is gathered. So Peter, in verse 34, says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, key in on verse 36. This is the message that God sent to the people of Israel announcing good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. There are a lot of voices out there telling us things about God. Most of them are wrong. You ask people who Jesus is and what he did, and you're going to get a lot of conflicting responses. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my professors posted a satire on the student bulletin board. And you remember that passage where Jesus says to his disciples, so who do the people say that I am? So my professor put this uh, little satire up there that says, and Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say, the people say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some say you're the holy other. Some say you're the transcendent one. Others say you're the Hiles Gashlech. And Jesus responded, what? Because that's what we have today, is people having all kinds of different views of who he is. So according to the Bible, who is Jesus? What did he do? And what is our message? So look at verse 36. Because Peter clearly tells Cornelius, and he tells us who Jesus is, what he did, and what our message is. So verse 36, this is the message. This is our message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing good news through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. My son Caleb calls this the Cliff Notes version of Christianity. So let's see why. First, Peter states two facts about Jesus. One, that Jesus is the Christ. Now, Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies promising a coming Savior. A few weeks ago, there was a self-described heretic who tweeted that Jesus was Christ. I don't know if you read it. Buddha was Christ. Muhammad was Christ. Christ is simply a word for the universe seeing itself. You are Christ. To which a couple people responded, Ah, uh, no. I can assure you 100% that I am not the Christ. Another guy wrote, Dude, you can't keep pointing at things in your room and saying, this is the Christ. That was my favorite. But I can assure you 100% that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. The second thing that Peter tells us in verse 36 
is that Jesus is Lord of all. Okay, now I want you to really hear me on this one. This is very important, okay? The Greek word for Lord is kurios. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But by the time of Jesus' days, most people did not speak Hebrew. Most of them spoke Greek, some Aramaic, some Latin, because it's Roman common. But most people, the common language of the day was Greek. And so the Septuagint was the Old Testament Bible in Hebrew being translated by 70 scholars into Greek, just like we have English translations today. So you've got the Old Testament Hebrew being translated into Greek, and they called the Greek the Septuagint, meaning 70 scholars. Now, when they translated the Hebrew to the Greek, the word Yahweh, the name of God in Hebrew, was translated, guess what, in the Greek? Kurios. So you've got Hebrew Old Testament, Yahweh, Greek Old Testament, Kurios. With me so far? Now let's go into the New Testament. You move into the New Testament, and what word do you suppose they use for Jesus as Lord? Kurios. Hebrew Old Testament, Yahweh. God Almighty, Hebrew New Testament, translated into Greek, kurios. Jesus is kurios. Meaning what? Meaning that Jesus in the New Testament is identified as Yahweh in the Old Testament. Jesus is God. Jesus is equated with God. A recent Berner, George Berner survey stated that over half of those, look around in your room, look at us, over half of us who are born-again Christians do not believe that Jesus is God. And a significant number of us don't even believe that Jesus was a historical person. Now, how can you claim to be a Christian if you don't even believe Jesus is God? If you don't even believe that he really historically existed? I mean, if you don't believe he's God, I can live with that. And if you don't believe he existed, I can live with that. But don't tell me you're a Christian. So Peter begins this message powerfully spelling out, first and foremost, that who Jesus is. That he is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised Savior, equal to Yahweh, God the Father. He is Lord over all creation. And Paul says in Colossians 1.16, the world was created by Jesus, for Jesus, we belong to Jesus. So if we are to have the right gospel, we need to have the right Jesus. And if we want to lead people to Jesus, we need to know who he is and what he did based on the Bible. So let's look at verse 37. Peter says, You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How, now watch this. How God, and he's referring to God the Father, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. 
Did you pick that up? <clears throat> right here, Peter acknowledges the Trinity. He sees, see, part of God's nature, and I know this is difficult for a lot of people to grasp, but part of God's nature is the Trinity. A triune being, you have God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're all involved in the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is anointed. That is, he is empowered and set apart to usher in the kingdom of God. So who is Jesus? He is God, part of the Trinity. He's the only true Christ. He is Messiah, the promised Savior. He is Lord over all creation. And any other Jesus is a false one. And all we need to do is look at the book of Galatians and see how powerful that is to Paul. Read Galatians, and you see Paul says, you preach any other Jesus, then you are accursed. And I can't emphasize the importance enough that if we are going to tell people of Jesus, about Jesus, let's have the right Jesus. We live in this day of progressive Christianity that is neither progressive nor Christian. And we've got to stop being deceived by the culture. We've got to come back to the Bible. This is the Jesus. Okay, now Peter says, let's say first, yeah. Now let's look at what Jesus did. Okay, we talked about who Jesus is. Now let's look at what he did. In verse 38, how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. See, Jesus, if you look at his life through the Gospels, you see that he went around preaching and teaching, and healing, and casting out demons, and doing miracles, and signs, and wonders, destroying the works of the devil, ushering in the kingdom of God. And then he continues in verse 39. Peter says, and we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross. And that was it. End of story. Okay, let's pray and go home. Right? No. Look at verse 40. But God. But God. Now, that's a powerful message in itself. Right here in just these two little words, but God. No matter what we are going through, no matter what in life hits us, no matter what in our lives die, the final word is always, but God. Amen. But God. So in verse 40, but God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Now, Again, I want you to know the right Jesus. So here's one of the very distinctives of our Christian faith is that Jesus rose from the dead. Literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead. It is essential that if we're going to tell people about Jesus, that we tell them that Jesus not only died for our sins, but he rose from the dead for our justification. 
reads Romans 4. They'll tell you about that. See, all these other religious leaders and teachers and uh, saviors and Christ, every one of them are dead. Every one of them is worm food. Every one of them are still in the grave. Only Jesus rose from the dead and promises to raise us from the dead as well. Now that is good news. So verse 41, Peter continues. He was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now here's something else that's distinctive. Jesus ate and drank with his disciples after he rose from the dead in a glorified yet physical body. It was a resurrected body. It was a real body. He is not this ghost that's floating around in this ethereal state. And we're not going to end up in the cloud playing our harp. We're not going to end up being ghosts. We're not going to be to absorb into this great universe, whatever it is. Jesus rose from the dead with a glorified, physically resurrected body where he ate and drank and they could put their hands in his the uh, fingers in his hand and put a uh, hand in his side. And that's what he promises for us as well. So if we want to tell people about Jesus, let's tell them about the right Jesus. Not that I'm excited about it, but... Well, I, you know, because it does. It excites me. It, you know, I am 72 years old. I know I don't look a day over 60. Thank you, Galen. He gave me a birthday card that said... I know everybody says, you look good for being 72, but I just tell them you're only 60. So, I'm 72. My days are short. Who knows how long? That's up to God. But I do know this, that when I die, it's not the end for me. When I die, God has a resurrected, glorified body for me. And how do I know that? Because he did it for Jesus, the first fruit of all of us. That's good news. Yeah, it's great news. What's this good stuff? That's great news. You're right. <laughs> now, verse 42. Yeah? Come on. Now, notice Peter says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one whom God, the Father, has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All right, this is not a popular theme today. But if we want to be faithful to the full gospel, people need to know that there's a day of judgment coming. However, for those who believe in Jesus, well, let's look at verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Why do we need forgiveness of sin? Yeah, a lot of people don't even believe in sin anymore. Forget not believing that Jesus existed. They don't believe sin exists. So why do we need forgiveness of sin? Because our sin has separated us from God. God created us to have a relationship with him. He created us for himself so we could enter into this loving intimate 
father-child relationship. But that relationship was broken. And every one of us in here who is honest with ourselves knows the pain of that brokenness and that separation from God. Is there anyone here who does not know the pain and the sorrow of being separated from God, of experiencing that brokenness? And that's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead to pay the price for our sin, to forgive our sin, to reconcile us back to God, to bring us home to the Father. But for that to happen, we cannot just be seekers. We cannot be just Cornelius. We cannot just be searching for God. We must be born again. We must have a transformation. We must have a conversion experience. We can't live as, as uh, God fears. We have to become proselytes. We have to be fully converted by believing in Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus, and accepting his Holy Spirit into our lives. We must be born again by believing in him. Because this verse says, for everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Now, I want you to note further in verse 43. All the prophets testify. What does Peter mean here? Well, here's the good news. Going back to the cliff note version of this, who is Jesus? What did he do? Well, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the promised Savior. He is Lord God over all. He was anointed, empowered, set apart with power and the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good, healing, destroying the works of the devil. He was put to death on the cross. He was raised from the dead with power. He was seen by his disciples. He ate and drank with his disciples in his resurrected body. He will judge all people at the end of this age because he is Lord of all. But he forgives the sins of everyone who believes in him and he reconciles them to God the Father. And all of this was what? Was what? Oh, it didn't. That's why you don't. Oh, that's the end. Forget. Okay. All of this was foretold by the prophets. Everything I just said, everything we just read in Acts 10, was already foretold by the prophets. None of that is new. Now, there's another distinction about our faith. Do you realize that over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament talk about this coming Messiah, of how he's going to live, how he's going to die, how he's going to raise from the dead? Over 300 Old Testament prophecies promised this Messiah. And guess who fulfilled all those 300 prophecies? Jesus. Did you know that in the New Testament... There are over 300 verses talking about the second coming. Over 300 verses. You look at the whole book of 1 Thessalonians. All five chapters refer to the second coming. Read that sometime. Over 300 verses. So that, my friends, is our message. There's a lot of leeway in Christianity. There really is. But these core fundamental truths are non-negotiable. 
And anybody who tells you otherwise is peddling a false gospel. So when someone comes up to you and says, Mr. Stone, can you tell me about Jesus and how to become a Christian? You don't have to spend two hours going from Genesis to Revolutions. Just turn to Acts 10 and give them the Cliff Notes version. But I want to conclude by this. And I think it's an obvious and a fair question. That sounds good, Ernie, but does it work? I mean, has anyone been led to Jesus by that simple message? Well, my tech doesn't want to work, but turn to verse 44. Acts 10, 44, and look what happens. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised, that is, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of being baptized with water. Because they, the Gentiles, have received the Holy Spirit just as we Jews have. And so he ordered that the Gentiles be baptized in the name of Jesus. Does that message work? Yeah, it works. Why? Because it's truth. So I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself in a situation where you want to explain the gospel to someone, just turn to Acts 10. Slip out there and just say, hey, let me read this to you. Let me tell you who Jesus is and what he did. And let me show you the results of what happened to people who believe in him. It's really a simple message. It's not that difficult. And that same promise that Peter preached to Cornelius of having our sins forgiven, of being reconciled to God, of receiving the Holy Spirit into our own lives, that's available to us all. All we need is to believe in him. All we need is to put our faith in Jesus, asking him to come into our lives and to forgive our sins. So I I hope I've accomplished two things this morning. One is for those of you who are genuinely um, born again, that know Jesus personally as your Savior, I hope that I've equipped you a little bit of how to present the gospel in a simple and yet complete manner, and that you've got a greater appreciation of who Jesus really is and what he's done. And my second hope is this. For those of you who are still Cornelius, that you're still kind of searching, just still wondering, okay, my heart's been hungering after God. I just didn't know who he really was. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to put your faith in him. So I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. I'm just going to ask all of you just to bow your head, close your eyes. And I do that because... I want to respect the privacy. You know, for those of us who are in this church and who are um, um, born again, it's easy to get up and come forward and do things. But for some of you, that may be a difficult journey, and I don't want to embarrass you. But I do want to give you the opportunity to say, 
this Jesus that you talked about this morning, that's what my heart has been crying out for. This is what I long for. And if that's you this morning, I just want you just as quickly, just uh, quietly, just lift up your hand so that I can just bless you and pray for you. If you haven't yet been fully converted, I just want to give you the opportunity. Is there anyone here this morning that needs to now say, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I haven't really done that before. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Okay. Okay. Um, so just, just in your heart, just pray this prayer with me, if you would. Just say, Jesus, and you don't have to say anything out loud. Just, you know, want to, uh, uh, just keep your privacy integrity intact. But just say, Jesus, I believe you are God. And that you died on the cross for my sin. And you rose from the dead so that I might have the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And I receive you now, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. I put my faith in you and I receive your Holy Spirit and the promise of eternal life. In Jesus' name. It's just that simple. All right, bless you. Have a good morning. And go out and get them. Give them heaven.